it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. I haven't left my house in weeks. Everyone is being so socially distant right now. I think I'm going mad. I think I'm going crazy. I think I might have cabin fever. Never fear, Kaiju groupie. Your favorite podcasters are here. You don't have to face these trying times alone. We're inviting you and fellow Kaiju fans to Kaiju Quarantine. A mega monster movie marathon. Featuring informative and riff-tastic commentary. From the crews of your favorite giant monster podcasts, Kaiju Weekly. The Monster Island Film Vault. Kaiju Conversation. Gargantucast. Monsters vs. Men. Tokyo Lives. And Kaiju Transmissions. We'll watch Kaiju classics old and new like Godzilla vs. Gigan and Raigo, King of the Sea Monsters. So join us on our Discord server April 4th and 5th at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time for the epic event of the spring. If it keeps the Kelax from destroying us all, I'm not missing it. Let's do this. Once again, that's April 4th and 5th at 2 p.m. Central. Kaiju Quarantine, come together right now over kaiju hello and welcome to another edition of the kaiju cast god damn it (laughs) (laughs) please leave it i'll use that as like a cold open Hey, Yount isn't around to stop you anymore. So. That's right. Yeah, I, I can just pass this off as Kaiju Cast now. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. Um okay, let's try that again. Let's try that again. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Um, and uh, while the world is quarantined, um, I, you guys are probably sitting at home with not much to do and watching some movies. So uh, we are here with a commentary for a classic Toho film. And uh, yeah, we hope that you uh, join us. Of course, um, as whenever we do a commentary, we try not to make it extremely screen specific, so it's still listenable, listenable to some degree um, without watching the movie. So, um, anyway, uh, I am Kyle Bird. I'm joined by my co-host Matt Parmley. Yes, and um, we are joined by uh, two of uh, uh, our revolving door guests that. Uh, hop on quite frequently 
Of course, we have Tom here. Yo. Uh, and then quarantinis. <laughs> right. And then uh, we have, uh, of course, blogger, author of Kaiju for Hipsters, our friend Kevin. Say Howdy. Hello. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, we're all here. Um, and uh, we are going to talk about Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, or uh, for people uh, pre-classic media, Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Um, and why are we doing this commentary? Well, to be honest, this was something that we had planned to do in the lead-up to King of the Monsters, um, mostly because, hey, it's all the same monster cast, and... Um, you know, why, why not, you know, use it to, you know, build some momentum. And here we are, um, nearly a year later. Um, I don't even remember why we couldn't do it originally. I just life, I guess. But, um, I mean, honestly, I, I've been looking forward to doing this just because, um, I mean, just like you guys and the rest of the people that might be listening, I mean, this is a childhood favorite. Um, it's got so much that we love about the, the series in it. And um, so we I really wanted to kind of be like, you know what, let's still do it anyway. Um, and uh, honestly, this is something I've been looking forward to just because, like, uh, the world is on fire right now. And this is, <laughs> this is going to be a fun activity to do to kind of, you know, hopefully lift our spirits and hopefully everybody at home... Um, you know, we're all in this pandemic thing together. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> now I, I know that the four of us have the Criterion disc in, um, and because we are now in a very strange timeline, uh, we, the, the up is down, um, wet is dry, warm is cold, uh, the American version of this movie is now long out of print and fallen into complete VHS and DVD obscurity, um, not streaming anywhere, uh, difficult to get a hold of if you don't already have it. Um, so we are in a, this weird world where the version we grew up watching is the more obscure version and the one that is easily, readily available on Criterion Channel or on Blu-ray is the Japanese version. So we have the Japanese version queued up. Um, so uh, if you are joining us uh, with the movie on, um, get your disc in. Uh, for those of you using the Criterion disc, we are starting at 21 seconds in after the Janus and Criterion logos, right when the Toho Scope logo is fading in. Um, if you're watching on uh, classic media or your old... Video Daikaiju subtitled bootleg VHS. Um, again, get to where the Tohoscope Toho logo is fading in. Um, and uh, so right when you see that come into the screen, where you're going to hit play. So uh, I think... Hang on, I need a, I need a second here. My uh, projector clicked off on me, so it needs just a minute to cool down. and then. I'm... All right, I'm ready. Okay. Are yes. you, are you, you're, you're queued up and everything? Yep, yep, yep. Ah, yes. Okay, it did Toho not scope. play for me. <laughs> yeah, mine is still like... My, the okay. fuck is wrong with you guys tonight? All right, Wait, well, for real? <laughs> all right, is is everyone playing? It, no, yeah. Right. Okay, Kevin, are you... Not, are, is yours playing? Uh Oh, yeah, but it's like at 25 seconds. All right, where am I right now? All right, I'm at 36. I'm at 45. 
All right, all right. Let's go back to go back to twenty one. <laughs> I hate all my friends tonight. I think it, I think it's because I, I had it sitting paused. For yeah, like... same here. Like I heard my Blu-ray player like wake up. It did that that sound. Yeah, I hit the button twice. So. All right, I'm at 21 seconds. <laughs> right, is everyone back at 21? No, no, hold on a second, hold on a second. Let me get, let me get there. <laughs> all right, we're good. We're good. Okay. All right, all right. Okay. And one, two, three, play. All right. I like how you counted that down differently than the first time. <laughs> I don't know what's going on right now. Uh, Toho Scope. Okay, so uh, we are now immersed in Toho Scope. And here we have the uh, the first time that we've seen the now uh, sort of semi-common um, monster scales and clips against the, uh, the opening credits. Um... And yeah, what? this is the first time we do this, so I think this is a pretty um, uh, significant shift in uh, what these movies are telling us. You know, this is saying like, hey, the monsters are the stars now. And that will be the trajectory moving forward. And uh, it that uh, idea has poisoned the fandom uh, ever since. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 1964 uh the second godzilla movie to come out in 64 right um and the third kaiju movie because there was dogura as well as godzilla vs mothra in this um all by ashiro honda all written by shinichi sekizawa all with effects by tsuburaya and scores by akira fukube uh, many of the same actors, um, uh, just a very busy year. Imagine that now. Um, and this would one be like Marvel. Most, right, yeah. This one is the most rushed feeling of them. I would agree with that, Tom. That's 100%. Definitely, yeah. You know, I, I love this movie. Um, <clears throat> I used to watch this movie religiously as a kid, but yeah, it's definitely got the most rushed feel to it. So Tom, oh, since the props in the background, yeah, <laughs> what is that? Um, I, well, I now I, this guy's head is in the way, but um, <clears throat> yeah, Tom, since this is your first time watching the Criterion Blu-ray, anytime a shot changes, look at the bottom of the screen and. You'll see splice marks uh, every, He's going to scream. <laughs> every single time. Um, every single time the shot changes, you will see those little uh, splice marks uh, that, yeah, uh, were uh, most likely matted out um, when normal showings of this movie <laughs> happened. Um, so, I don't know, drinking game every time the, a splice mark shows up? Take Listen, I have alcohol in front so... of me. I will be dead in about 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, like... I've oh my god! I've seen like six of them already. Yeah, it's um, bad. You can't not see are, them. We're three minutes. Oh, <laughs> there's another one. Well, they're right uh, by the subtitles too, so that makes it super we're, conspicuous. We're, we're three and a half minutes into this movie. If if we even do like a sip of beer every time we see <laughs> one, I have a feeling that I'll I will die. Which I guess what I'm just 
beaten coronavirus by a couple of days, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird opening scene, isn't it? Because everything they're talking about never really comes back. Uh, they're saying that Japan is in the middle of a very strange heat wave for the yeah, time of year. That, uh, that little plot thread or whatever you would call it never gets a, a real <clears throat> and, um They're kind of talking about this. Uh, uh, they're, they're, this reporter is covering this like UFO meeting on this roof, and they're looking at this meteor shower, and they're saying... Um, they're talking about brain waves, and it's all very strange things that the, the, only one of those guys comes back later for maybe one of the craziest things, one of the craziest <laughs> like the... moments of exposition in any kaiju movie ever. Um, but yeah, it's very weird that like those the UFO conspiracy guys and the heat wave they never really come back. Um, I have a few notes on the uh, first draft of the script that I'm going to get into a little bit later where um, they are a little bit more of a presence. But um, but this is definitely the most rushed of the, the three films um, that uh, the three kaiju films that they did. Um, and yeah, a lot of the same people. Um, and uh, <clears throat> to kind of go back to the time period... Um, from what I understand, uh, Godzilla versus Frankenstein was kind of the project uh, that they were considering um, for 1965, and uh, I think the Frankenstein concept that they uh, got from John Beck, who stole it from Willis O'Brien, uh, I think they weren't quite done with that yet, and um, Godzilla versus Frankenstein was something that was in consideration, and... Uh, um, the rele- the their big movie for the New Year's season, which I guess in Japan isn't January so much, but um, uh, earlier. I'm not sure if that's Kevin. Do you know if that's more November, December that they start getting into the New Year's uh, swing? Uh, generally, it's it's around December that they okay. tend to. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be Kurosawa's Redbeard, which, I mean, getting into that production is a whole other can of worms that you could probably do a whole other podcast about, but um, that's when Kurosawa was at his most, like, anal. I mean, that was a very troubled shoot in where, you know, every little drawer in the uh, had to be filled with certain things on the set. I mean, it was insane. I mean, sometimes they'd work all day and not even get a shot because Kurosawa is, uh, I mean, a, a big fan, but the guy was a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they they were really left without that big New Year's release, and they were like, well, uh, Godzilla? And um, uh, I know John LeMay's theory is that uh, with the Frankenstein Project was a co-production with UPA and Henry Saperstein, and... They just, uh, they must have figured, you know, hey, we can just make our own Godzilla movie on our own and, and have it out in time. So this is uh, around eight, nine months after Godzilla vs. Mothra. Um, and yeah, it was pushed forward um, uh, when, you know, Redbeard, Redbeard really just messed everything up. Um, and uh, what is the country here? We we have Princess Salno and then Sel- uh, Selgina. Yeah, yeah, okay. And is then we it have the uh, same in the 
that's what I was going to ask is it's been a dog's age since I've watched the uh, American English cut of this movie. Is it Selgina in the in that cut also? Uh, I don't Don't everyone so. answer at once. Yeah, I don't remember either. <laughs> all all uh, I remember the differences is the you know the Mars Venus Mars thing. Inver- yeah. Yeah. Well, and like the reordering of some shots and like I do also remember like the the subtitles here she says like, "Oh, I feel like I could touch the stars. Uh, could you get me something to drink?" Da, da, da. For some reason in the American version, every time she speaks, she calls him woo. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that at all, but she, oh, woo, you scared me. I'm looking at the stars and oh, woo, would you get me something to drink? It's just so weird. (laughs) Like it's one of those like, um, attempts to match the, uh, the mouth movement type moments, you know, um, banana oil and such. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, well, it, it does say that his name is woo in the, uh, the Wikizilla page for whatever that's worth. But. Yeah, they could be getting it from that dub. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bit parts, that was also uh, Hideo Amamoto that we just saw blow up on the plane. Who I, <laughs> that guy's in everything. He really is in everything. Yeah. And I guess uh, Akihiko Doctor uh, Wu maybe. Akihiko, Akihiko Harada. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> Akihiko Harada that we saw in the the police station. I guess he he was in Redbeard, and I uh, from what I understand, he had like one day off, and they they were like, "Hey, you want to come do the, a small part for this?" And he's like, "Yeah, whatever." Um, this right here is how you know it's a Honda movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, the close-ups of mountains. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. The. Uh, I guess I guess we can talk a little bit about um, Shinichi Sekizawa because this is definitely like you mentioned his name. This is one of the movies that a lot of people are going to think of. Um, this is an interesting case, though, where um, from what I understand, he was starting to even feel bored. Um, you know, at this point, he he started with Varan, which. I mean, there were so many outside circumstances with that movie, but you watch that and you can see the kind of template for the things that he would often do. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> he did King Kong versus Godzilla, Mothra, Godzilla versus Mothra, um, and it, there's some changes in how he writes this movie in that um, the human drama uh, is driven by the monster scenes, Um That is to say, the humans aren't reacting to the monsters and resolving the monster conflict. It's like he flipped that formula upside down. So where it's always the monsters that are interfering with whatever is going on with the humans. And you'll see that a lot in this movie. Um, Yeah, that's something that... that, um, trying to think it's not always like really explained really well i actually think you did a really good job just then is like there's there it's not that the humans like never really affect the monsters in this movie you know so everything up to this point guys splice marks um <laughs> everything up up to this movie is you know the monster is doing something and then the humans do something and then that makes the monster do something different and then the humans do something etc 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 um, 
they're always trying to fight the monster and that's driving sort of the action of the whole movie in this, the monsters just kind of show up and that's, that is constantly driving what the humans are doing. You know, there's, and you especially see that towards the end of the movie where, um, the, uh, assassination attempts on the princess are increasing and you know, that you get to towards the, they're trying to, electrocute her and then and then rodan drops godzilla on the uh, electrical line and you know then they're trying to shoot each other and then there's the avalanche. like you see that that uh, flip the script type of thing that you mentioned you know turning the formula on its head you see that a lot towards the end of the movie but yeah it's definitely um it's you un- it's not unique so much right because now like it almost seems like everything does it but at the time this was like the first thing that that did that. Yeah, I mean Dogra a little bit also, right? Yeah, I think I and I think in as much as um, you know, I would say a lot of the things that you see in Varan are like a dry run for what we would see in Mothra or something. Like Dogra, in a lot of ways, uh, is kind of a, a rough skeletal version of a lot of the things we see here. Everything from the the cops and robbers kind of subplot and um uh <clears throat> a lot of and yeah a lot of that kind of the monster kind of interfering with their their affairs um but yeah this, i think this definitely kind of made it uh something that would be standardized later um and then even this feels like a dry run in a way for monster zero you know yeah, i mean for sure it feels like a lot of what this movie is doing is ultimately kind of kind of you know i mean it's a different story and everything but it it feels like this movie gets perfected in monster zero or if you're if you're weeb kevin uh astro monster uh has anyone ever delved into and i feel like maybe one of the you know like the classic media commentary might have uh delved into why you know it was changed from Venus to Mars. I don't know. I wonder if that might have just been. I don't know. You know, I really don't know why. Um, that is a good question. I wonder if it has something to do with dub, but I mean, that's just a strange. I don't know. It, it is a weird change um, because I mean, it, it's kind of. I don't. I I can't think of a point to to change it. Is it I, the only thing I could think of, and this is complete spitballing, and you know, it's just at this time when this was released in the states, was there a like a Martian fascination thing going on? You know, was it just hmm. was that like the thing? You know, I think it's, it's probably easier to say Martian than Venusian, so. I mean, Martian is very much a shorthand for extraterrestrial in English, so... But, no, not... Uh, I, I haven't heard anything concrete about why they would have changed it. You know, I was fake news. Akihiko Harada is not in Redbeard. Who the hell was in Redbeard <laughs> and did one scene for this? I just felt like I should correct myself, even though I don't have the right answer. I know I know it's well, someone Was, was uh, Shimura in it? Uh, was he in Red? 
He was, yeah, he's in Redbeard. Yeah, might uh, is he in Redbeard? I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna pull up Redbeard on IMDb because <laughs> I'm tired of not knowing what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and yes, Tom, yeah, he's in it. He's got a bit part. He's the uh, the guy at the hospital. That oh, they he's the he's at. the he's the yeah the doctor at the at the. You know what, Kevin? It, it's got to be Shimura because he is in Redbeard and. And he does have a bit part. Yeah, in this. barely their part in this movie. So, since we're recording, I'm not gonna get too crazy and googling and fact checking. But that's a decent theory for now. Um, we will not confirm or deny it. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, you know what's crazy to me? It's just I'm just kind of noticing this now. So. It takes them like all day to hike into the mountain <laughs> where the meteor is, and uh, the professor's just going back and forth. Like <laughs> he goes back and forth multiple times. This is a scene that is unfortunately cut down a little bit more in the um, uh, U.S. cut because uh, I really, I really like the banter here with. Uh, you know, the the brother and sister, and I mean, th this is a movie that I always kind of think of w when people say, like, oh, you know, the characters don't matter, and I mean, my case for human storyline and, and characters isn't so much that they have to be deep or complex or have these meaningful arcs, but they need to be fun, and uh, the characters in this movie are fun, you know, the characters in uh, Monster Zero are fun, you know, they might not be super fleshed out character pieces, but they're fun to watch. You know, when the monsters aren't on the screen, I like these people. And that's that's what that's really all I ask from things like, you know, the, the legendary films and and stuff like that. You know, and instead we get, you know, Kyle Chandler and Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson just being these bland. Wet blankets of people, you know. I would say that if, if Legendary were making these, they would have made Hiroshi Koizumi, Koizumi just be his previous character because, like, he, he's yeah, very much weird. <laughs> Isn't he the same name? Aren't no, you're thinking of no. uh, yeah, you're thinking of he. It's the same. He he comes back in Tokyo SOS as his Mothra character. Right? No, I feel like he plays a uh, Professor Mirai in two different movies well in um in maybe mothra versus maybe, godzilla maybe. this is just going to be the fake news podcast <laughs> yeah and that one he plays professor mira so it's a okay. similar yeah. name and then uh, uh well so, so i wasn't being fake news i was just being a, a stupid gaijin <laughs> right uh, this is where um, another significant thing here and we see a little bit of it i mean here is this is where really i guess where, I mean, the continuity and everything is very loose in, in Toho, especially the Showa films, but this is where they kind of expand the universe, the Toho universe, for lack of a better term, into like a kind of more shared cinematic universe with uh, Mothra and Rodan being, um, well, Mothra already from the last movie, but really bringing Rodan in and... You know, here we have these guys, you know, giving us an update. I love these two guys in the dub. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 them and the kids are great in the dub, aren't they? The, these two guys in the dub, just the, the, the way they're dubbed, I mean, 
with the, the especially the the taller like goofier guy with the way he's dubbed the I never tell a right like it, it it's not so much the it's just his the the cadence of it is very like like uh it's a very odd couple type of thing you know it's a very um uh, Ralph and Frank right and I think those are the two characters of the odd couple like it's very Barney and Fred type of relationship and I I really like I dig that I don't know if does someone know are these are, are these an actual like comedy pair or yes, something yes yeah. yes these were real life comedians uh in japan and are they playing themselves in here kevin i believe that they are but i and um and i'm not sure what the i'm not sure if the show that this is it was it was real either i'm not 100 percent sure but um this is almost kind of like a weird proto like tosh.0 show <laughs> where they're like hey we're gonna find this this person where are they now yeah yeah (laughs) and you know see where they are now and um of course we have the the shobajin fairies here um and they i'm back i think i didn't you guys hear me i didn't even know oh i didn't even know matt was was gone i didn't either (laughs) story my dad i'm back (laughs) i thought he was just uh, i thought he was my internet (laughs) yeah my my internet took a it crashed, so I can't connect. I rebooted my router, so I don't know what's going on. So now I'm on my phone. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, huh. Uh, interesting. Um, 2020. Yes. Uh, so, um, and uh, here's where they also reveal that the other larva uh, died, and uh, I don't think it's ever told how or why or whatever. Um, rumor has it that uh, earlier versions of this film included both Mothras, uh, one of them which would be an adult. However, uh, from what I understand, that's one of those things that supposedly was said by Subaraya in a magazine, but nobody really seems to know what magazine or when or anything. So it's one of those things that I'm hesitant to call a fact, uh, but uh, a rumor. Um, it, it would be, wouldn't it be weird, though, to have one of them be a larva and the other one be an adult? They're twins, so... Yeah, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> now, this Mothra song was composed by Ifukube? Uh, that is a good question. I did come across that. Because I know the original I, was not. Yeah, but he he did compose uh, Silent Spring uh, for um, Godzilla vs. The Thing. He did that, that song. So... Um, uh, Call Happiness is the name of this one. Um, and this, yeah, this one is not a Fukube. This is composed by Hiroshi Miyagawa, lyrics by Takiko Awatani. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. Silent Spring it seems to be the only Mothra song that uh, Ifukube actually did. Um, yeah, that's very strange. Um, uh yeah, here's uh finally the princess is uh wearing the fisherman's clothing uh as the prophetess and uh from what I understand the actress Akiko Wakabayashi uh from what I understand it was her idea to wear the 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 um the fisherman's clothing. Um 
there's so many good fades and dissolves and and things like that in in this movie in the first what are we in the first like 20 minutes still and it's funny because those are like just like matter of course effects now but you know in the in the 60s you were you know doing double exposures and and matting and uh just thinking about just what that takes to to get a simple you know fade in and fade out of something um like a super imposition like we just saw of the the princess picture on top it's 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 just kind of crazy you know like um that there was so much more technique involved in something like that um yeah definitely um, well, I, there's mo the word very soon, um, we're probably going to get to the point where this movie is just monster action. So, uh, I'll go through, um, some more of my notes here. Um, cause I do have a lot, I have a lot of stuff on King Ghidorah himself to talk about. So now, um, where we are, well, well, while we have one of the last of these like lulls here, um, I'll kind of go over uh, some information on the first draft of the script. Um, this was dated August. First of all, let, let's this first draft of the script before rewrites, all that stuff is dated August of 1964. Keep in mind uh, that this movie came out that winter. Um, this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this movie came out on December 20th, so that is, like, uh, that's under four months from first draft completion to playing in theaters. To give you an idea of just how down-to-the-wire everything about this movie was, um... And, uh, I, I, I think I've, I've always said, you know, of the three kaiju movies from 64 this one is definitely the one that is has the most issues with editing and continuity and things like that and i'm imagining that has something to do with it but anyway so uh the original draft did not have the princess salno character um at all and uh that character um replaced a guy by the name of shindo or um not Shindo. Shindo's the cop, but he replaced a guy named Goro who um, was part of a drug trafficking ring that Detective Shindo here, um, played by Daisuke Natsuki, um, is trying to take down. And uh, at the beginning, for whatever reason, um, I don't know if it's just, you know, maybe not having the best translation of the script to work with, so it's kind of unknown, but at the beginning, Goro, this uh, this gangster character, is at that UFO club meeting for whatever reason, um, and he falls off the roof during the meteor shower, and uh, he wakes up way far away at the Kurobe Dam, and... Um, and uh, this is where it's interesting that it sounds like those space club guys were in it a little more because they're the only people that do believe him that he is uh, from Venus. Um, so he he does become kind of the prophet. Um, and, and there's some kind of throwaway dialogue in that script, too, that it's not just that character um, that has had these... Uh, uh, that is kind of possessed by these aliens uh the the meteor shower supposedly kind of awakens dormant venus personality spirit or whatever 
and people kind of across the the city or, or across the country or or whatever. One of them would, was a, who uh, is actually this guy who comes down for the hat. He he was uh, uh, said he was from Venus. Um, now here's where the this uh, original version of the script gets interesting and where it's probably the most drastically changed is there was a kind of uh, subplot um, uh, kind of alluding to Cold War tensions where uh, this kind of rogue group called the World Federation wanted to nuke Ghidorah on Japanese soil. Um, and uh, Goro uh, said that um, that's what they tried uh, um, uh, on Venus, and all it did was leave the planet in ruins. Um, at that point, King Ghidorah flies to New York, where he'd destroy the Statue of Liberty, and there are actual... Um, storyboards and art reflecting Ghidorah in Manhattan. Um, mm. And the U.S. almost gives the order to nuke uh, Ghidorah, but then Goro pleads with them, telling them, uh, you know, on Venus, they, uh, you know, the best they could do is try to combat the monster with science, but on Earth, they have Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra, who they should kind of utilize to take out Ghidorah. Um, now that, now that's important because that halts the nuclear launch, meaning that the, uh, the threat of nuclear bombing, uh, is contingent on the monsters actually teaming up and working together. Um, and then now, now this is where it also gets kind of weird too, is, uh, there was an epilogue after the movie where Ghidorah's disappeared, he's gone, and immediately after he leaves, there's tensions at the 15th parallel uh, with the World Federation saying that, you know, now they want to nuke Godzilla and Rodan. Uh, and the last shot of the movie is supposed to be Godzilla and Rodan standing on Mount Fuji in the mist and kind of with their futures completely unknown. So it was a little bit more uh, bleak and almost more what you would consider... Um, a Takeshi Kimura-ism, uh, more of a Kimura script, really. Um, that shot. Isn't that crazy? That shot, from, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second draft is when they brought in the princess, and uh, there was a lot of direct influence from William Wyler's Roman Holiday um, with the princess hiding in plain sight in, you know, uh, just a change of clothes um, Honda even instructed the actors to recall the ending of that movie when they shot the, the farewell at the airport here, uh, at the end of this one. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting that, um, this movie throughout different, you know, drafts, you know, the, the social commentary part kind of got more watered down in favor of, you know, the more, I guess, kid-friendly monster beat 'em up kind of thing, um, and uh, you know, I yeah. think I think that that that's and, just really where this movie is really just the shift in this entire franchise. Yeah, well, and we know how that ultimately kind of ended, right? You know, yeah. I mean, the the next movie ends up being Honda's last um, for for a few well, years. You know, you know, I mean, he, he his intended. Back- his yeah. intended last, where he then only came back, really you know, on special occasions, and kind yeah. of yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, you know, a cu- couple couple things there. Um, number one, um, are we having a Blue Mountain? Um, <laughs> <laughs> number two, 
You said um, the main character, Detective Shindo's name was, uh, the actor's name was uh, Daisuke Natsuki, but it's Yosuke Natsuki. Oh, whoops. Um, And then. I'm a mess today. So does it it ever say what Goro's last name is? Because if it's Goro Maki, like. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, this franchise obsession this, with that name. It's there's like three Goromakis, I think, in the in the franchise. Yeah. Is it three? There's. Um, Son there's of been Godzilla, more than that at drafts, though. Son of Godzilla '85 and Shin, and Shin right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's got there's more in screenplays. I, I guarantee. I think it's uh, funny that apparently uh, Princess Sanlo's name is a pun. What's the what's the joke? So her full name is uh, Mas Dolina Salno, which is a play on Ma Sudore Nasarano, which is like, well, are you passing through? Huh. So. <laughs> yeah, I never would have known that. <laughs> I like this guy in the dub too. The the guy professor it seems like it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. It, it, again, that's just one of those things of like, like, like you mentioned, bird, like characters. You know, like being fun and being memorable is is it's better than good monster action. You know, because at the end of the day, even in the most monsterific of these movies, the monster stuff is what at most thirty percent of the yeah. movie. So, like, that other 70%, that other, you know, 70 minutes of the runtime of these movies, you got to enjoy yourself. And this is one of those movies where you've got the, you know, the, the two comedy guys. You've got the banter between uh, the, the Shindo brother and sister. You've got the the assassins. You've got um, the... the the crew of the of the guys who, you know, professor looks like it's bigger and uh, well, that thing worries me, professor. You know, like like they're they're all such like just fun, vibrant characters that kind of just light up the screen whenever they're there. That like you enjoy yourself for the seventy minutes that's not Godzilla. You know really? and. The the big thing about that too, in terms of I guess especially Hollywood movies and uh, blockbusters, and I mean since it's very easy, uh, use Godzilla King of the Monsters as an example. For a lot of people, that just a movie like this, it's it's coming out of the characters' genuine personality and you know some witty banter, and you know I think a lot of modern writers tend to think that that comes out in you know a, a bad joke you know i mean what is what what is it about what attempts to make the characters entertaining in a movie like king of the monsters is there beyond oh did he say gonorrhea or you oh, know i mean or this, dropping the, the occasional f-bomb this character <laughs> right here this 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 poor fisherman character who's brought to life by like just a, a really kind of quirky little performance he would be he'd make at least three like poop jokes or dick jokes like (laughs) 
Yeah, you know it's, you. It's like the their their version of personality. It's not little character quirks or mannerisms. It's here's a joke, you know. And and it's not just Godzilla that did it. It's it's. I mean, you see just see that so often in movies now where. You know, they think, oh, well, if this character makes a, a fart joke or or if there's a, a a tense scene and at the end there's a little, like, joke to kind of alleviate the tension, like, that, that that's personality. But that's really not, you know, it's, it's, it, that, that's not how, I don't know, that's not really how screenwriting should be, in my, in my opinion, you know. And that guy's great too. Anytime he shows up in a Godzilla movie, it's always in a tiny little part like that, and he's always he's always something. Yeah, that that's a that's a fun little moment, right? And he, you know, it's 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 the costuming and the performance that that make him seem like a genuine like fisherman, like a genuine like poor uneducated fisherman. And and here's that uh, yeah, throwaway well, line. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the most bizarre piece of exposition in not just a Godzilla movie or a kaiju movie, but in honestly <laughs> anything I've seen. It's so weird too, because you know, like you mentioned, you know, the prevailing theory that we have at least is that Takeshi Shimura, right, only had uh, a day. Or or a, or a couple days to film his scenes, but that feels like this guy only had like a day to film his scenes, and they were like, "We're just we're just gonna do one with you on a roof. We're gonna do one with you in an office, and we'll work with what we have." So, uh, like that, it's got the Natal ship in it. Yeah, also. yeah, that, that's a fun <laughs> that's a fun little thing too. Is there's a uh, the uh, the spaceship from uh battle in outer space uh one of the actual props is on his desk and so yeah i mean anyone that's not watching and and might be listening so we just got to the point where um you know you have the detectives saying like shindo and his and his boss yeah and and, yeah and they're like talking about like how could she have survived and we get a smash cut to the U- the the UFO club guy at his desk that has all these like like the the Natal ship from Battle in Outer Space got all these this space paraphernalia everywhere and he he talks to the camera and he says the princess survived by sl- slipping through dimensions and coming back through our dimension possessed by an alien from Venus, and and it's just okay. There's your explanation. That's how she lived. I I just even imagine if like I don't know. Imagine if like any uh, imagine if any movie did that. Imagine any- <laughs> like like even even King of the Monsters. Like imagine if they were like, oh, this Ghidorah. So what is he? And we smashed cut to uh, the Terminator Two guy who's in the movie. What the. Uh, <laughs> Miles Dyson, yeah, yeah, and we we smashed cut to him staring at the camera and being like, Ghidorah was an ancient super species that came from the stars, and you know was an alien predator, and you're like, and then that was the explanation, rather than the one that we get in the movie, which is it is better than what they do here, it, where you know she's like, oh, I was looking through, you know ancient texts like they they give it like a an actual moment that 
kind of makes sense within the context of the movie. It's like instead, imagine if we smashed cut to Miles Dyson just staring <laughs> at the camera and explaining it to the audience. That's, that's already that's, such that's, a that's already such a weird like way to deliver any exposition. But the fact that what he's telling us is insane <laughs> makes it even weirder. <laughs> And here we made stuff for those whales. So I feel like they must have. I always thought those were like giant fish as a kid. Maybe I'm I'm just an idiot. I think though. you were. Uh, yeah, I think you're just stupid. But yeah, so this is uh, as a kid uh, watching this on a VHS on like a 14 inch screen. I didn't have any idea what the <laughs> hell. <that was. laughs> uh, I will say this is one of my all time favorite Godzilla entrances that just ended here. And yeah, he when he comes out of the water, yeah, he has a dolphin or a whale or something in his mouth. So. Um, again, that, that's one of those things that people don't really realize, even fans, that, you know, Godzilla wasn't this thing that goes to re- radioactive, uh, like, uh, reactors and picks them up and absorbs them, like, uh, you know, that didn't come into play until the 80s, you know, he's still, like, there's the cutscene from 54 where he's eating the cow, here he's eating, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of large, uh, marine mammal, so... Even fans are like, you know, when talking about Godzilla, they're like, well, he absorbs radiation from reactors. And it's like, no, I mean, that that was literally like, what, 30 years after after the character was created. This is right before. This is uh, is where we start to if you're watching the American, if you happen to be watching the American version um, or, you know, it's that's the version I watched more often as a kid. This is like. This is where we get a lot of those jumbled up different oh, yeah, scenes, yeah. right? I mean, because I feel like after Godzilla's appearance, it doesn't see, and it's it's been a minute since I watched the American version, but I don't think it it goes to this that we we're seeing here. I think it goes to his landfall. That always uh, that that was pretty common, especially with movies of this time period. With the American versions, always kind of. Instead of kind of building up tension to those moments, they kind of always just smash, like, right through the human stuff to get there. Um, whereas, yeah, I think the Japanese versions do a little bit better of spacing things out and having some form of build-up, you know. I love this. Just point I love out that we guys. have two back-to-back scenes with Ultraman actors. <laughs> the mustache here is a real MVP, though. I mean, his mustache is incredible. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, I, I want to just real quick. Uh, the princess Salno, like her, her character is so stoic and deadpan, and it's something I love because she she rarely makes eye contact, and then when she does, it's like she locks on. But everything she does, she's very just. I'm going to do this one thing, and that's going to be warn everybody about the coming attacks. And and her mannerisms and the way that she just like everything she does is so very linear. And emotionless almost is pretty interesting. I, I love her performance in this movie. On the far left, the guy that's dressed like the most stereotypical gangster of the bunch, that's uh, the actor that played um, Hayata, right? An Ultraman? Yeah, Hayata. yeah, that's Ultraman. That's, his mustache is amazing. That's what I was saying earlier. Also, the one dude, you like how they, uh, like they're like they all wearing the big flashy washes, their watches and stuff. The little guy in the gray that picked the lock is my favorite. He just when he just has a certain swagger where it's like you know this guy's basically a glorified extra, but he's he's doing what he can. Who this was going to be the, the, the original villain in this? It wasn't Maldis? it wasn't the guy uh, that yeah. was going to be uh, 
uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya. But, That's right. He um, was in Redbeard, right? Yes, that was the that was he, conflict. Yeah, yeah, he's in Redbeard, and that was another one where they couldn't do it because Kurosawa's a maniac. Um, you know, I really wish Natsuke showed up in more kaiju films because um, I think it's just... He plays a very similar character in Dogura, and then he shows up in Godzilla '84, where he was um, he was replacing um, Akihiko Hirata as Professor Hayashiya because he died, and um, that's pretty much it, right? As far as uh, um, genre, yeah. yeah. Uh, it looks like he had a cameo in uh, Monster X Strikes Back. Um, cool. <laughs> you're better off getting that and uh, I guess he was kind of an extra in H-Man because he has a credit in uh, the H-Man he played man um, and that's it but he was in a lot of <laughs> Japanese stuff it's just yeah his, uh, Ultra his, 7X apparently yeah voice uh, I guess he did a voice cameo or something but yeah it's a shame he's always a lot of fun um, even in a more kind of dour role like 84 I really like him you know I didn't realize him and um Linda Miller from King Kong Escapes were an item at this point. Yeah. Um, she gushed about him during our interview with her. That was... sounds very wrong in this context, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, I, 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 I didn't realize that until we did our interview, uh, with her. Um, yeah, I didn't, I did not realize that, but, uh, but yeah, no, he's a lot of fun. I really wish he showed up in more things. The moment, Matt, that you were like one of the things you were talking about where uh, Akiko Wakabayashi gives that great performance, like that great, like emotionless kind of deadpan performance is, you know, when they're like, you wore that bracelet on your right arm or or your left, whatever arm. And she like lifts up the wrong arm. Um, (laughs) That's a it's like a cool it, it is just like a it's a great little like moment of her and then even here where she's just sitting in the fireplace in the dark reading <laughs> um yes yeah, see that's great stuff that stuff. i like you know i like you know little character beats you know i i think we've we've said that something kaneko is really good at yeah he's know? great i was just thinking that bird he's tom we, we talked about that during the um uh what's the pyrokinesis, the pyrokinesis yeah like the every character has a little like thing that they do yeah that's that's the thing that though there yeah like the the one thing when i think of kaneko and that like the one of my favorite examples is pyrokinesis there's the the woman detective that's always eating these mints or these like hard candies or whatever and it's like yeah it's not deepening the character arc or anything but it's like hey you know this is a way to make you remember this person and it makes them all feel very real and believable just i mean yeah Instead of having these sort of characters by committee, which we typically see in the in the Hollywood blockbusters, we have people that have there's something that you can latch onto and say, okay, I can see this person for just being like a like th- this is the way that they are. When you, and I, I, by the way, I love this shot. The guys oh, coming out of this is the, one of those one of the moments that's edited in the American cut, and it's also edited the, really the whole awkwardly. second act of this movie is. Like in, you get in you both get this versions, shot where he's on land, and then you get the other shot. Yeah, where he's in, in, in the, the American water. version, you get this shot where he's on land, and then it cuts to him in the water again. It's really 
messed up. I mean, the editing in neither version is really um, uh, that great, but I, I think a lot of the, the American version, I think, jumbled things up a little bit even more than they kind of already are in the Japanese version. Yeah, I, I think I think it might be this shot of him walking, and then it goes yeah, back to they, him in the water. Yep. Um, yep, that's exactly right. I'm I'm having seizures here. Are those, With the uh, weiss marks? Is it starting to get to you? <laughs> yes. Especially, oh my God. Especially. The other two <laughs> movies on this disc are just as bad. Yeah, the Monster Zero and Godzilla vs. Monster Mothra Zero about broke me. That is one yeah. of my favorite movies. Especially and I, right I, here, because we're, we're doing a lot of cutting here, where Godzilla is well, looking and reacting to Rodan and reacting to things. So, like, every four seconds, there's there it is. It's, every, and it's it's dark, also. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. other thing I was I was just saying, Kevin, is like, We've had it, it's been a thing throughout most of the movie as we've been watching it, but like you can see how a lot of people who have been watching these have been thinking they're glitches because what it almost looks like in this brief second when it's a lighter, lighter scene is it almost looks like you get a hold from the scene before just kind of laying on the screen for like you know the, the, the blink of an eye. I mean, it is it is momentary. But when you get into these darker nighttime scenes, it it it's a white line on yeah. the bottom of the scene on the bottom of the screen. It's nuts. Uh, it's crazy that Toho were like, "Here, this is what it's like. Don't do anything else to it." <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, you know, I I I've only noticed it in a couple. God damn it. <laughs> a, a couple of different moments is what the other thing I've seen. And I've been trying to not pay attention to it, but I've seen like hairs and things creep into the bottom of the screen that would have been also matted out because they're above or they're below where those like splice lines come in. So it's just like there's all kinds of garbage in the bottom, (laughs) you know, one fiftieth of this image that should be just matted out. This is, uh, all in all, this is one of probably the more decent transfers, if not for that bottom, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, the picture looks <laughs> looks pretty pretty stellar. Yeah, I'll just get a little piece of cardboard whenever I watch this. <laughs> I'll throw it in front of my projector lens. Like, a, like, like I'm the projectionist. You can't because then you're editing out the 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 subtitles. <laughs> right? Yeah, you need I, like a you need to like bump the subtitles up like a millimeter. I mean, where they are for me, at least they're uh, they're higher than where we would be seeing those glitches. So you could hypothetically do this. Yeah, you'd have to be they're very kinda, careful about it, but you could. They're kind of at the. You would cut off. You would cut off the bottoms of Y's and P's. Is, is about yeah. where they are. It's true. So yeah, this is it's it's frustrating because part of me is still like I'm gonna watch this on the classic media discs, even though, like, admittedly, the picture itself looks. It's gonna be like infinitely here. inferior <laughs> picture. The picture but... itself really does look. It, it looks really good. Better. It really does. And the classic media version, but the the those splice lines are 
murderous. This is where we get into talking about. I don't know if we want to specifically name drop and mention, but I mean, fan restorations of this movie are the way to go. They have a Ghidra uh, one, I believe. What are what are they technically now? They're not Red Menace. They're Kyoto Kino. Kyoto, yeah, but even 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 on that blog, like it says, like Home of the Red Menace Restorations. So. But yeah, I just watched their Son of Godzilla. I mean, I kind of just had it in the background because, um, you know, Julia wanted to kind of watch a Godzilla movie with Minya, so I kind of had it on the background. But I had their Son of Godzilla on yesterday, and it just looks it looks great. Oh, that's, this is that uh, scene. I think David Callum points out that they screwed up one of the 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 matting shots right there, and they actually yeah. had the set visible, and so they put that little tree there to cover that. Oh yeah, I can see. Yeah, it's superimposed over the. Yeah, and th- this is the same Godzilla suit from the previous film. They just basically put a new head on, but they did that also because they put in um, remote controlled eyes to give to give Godzilla's eyes a bit more movement. Well, I know last the last movie Nakajima like smashed the head of into a, <laughs> into a building and it like messed up the whole mechanism and. And yeah, like the jaw was loose and yeah, the jaw and was kind of like that's why you have that loose, that's why you have that loose lip um in the in the 64 uh, Mothra movie. But uh so this is one that in the American cut Ghidorah's entrance is kind of bumped up a little bit. Um and yeah, speaking of David Callet, I know he said that probably the best editing decision he feels um that the that they changed uh, it gets Ghidorah into the movie basically as soon as possible um uh but I don't know I kind of like where it is here I I I don't know I I'm a big fan of kind of slow burn rolling things out um but I mean it, it's one that I do think works uh it's an edit that works in the US version um it, the weird thing about it is that um the U.S. version has, like, some dialogue that doesn't quite make as much sense when you move the scene um, in other parts, but overall, I think it's a decent choice. One of two moments, though, in the movie, at least so far, we'll see if any others pop up to me, where uh, one of our characters who ends up, you know, continually being in the movie later is in this, like, horribly perilous situation and then the movie just smash cuts away from it and we never learn like how or why they could possibly have survived <laughs> um the, the first one is when you know the princess is at rodan's uh awakening in the volcano she's there and she points it out and she's right there with everyone else who gets blown away uh but you know she's just fine <laughs> um and then here, the the professor, he's at, you know, Ghidorah's birth, and he's just fine also. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to Bin Faroo being with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Bin Faroo, the future Ultraman suit actor, uh, he kind of had a lot of these little extra parts. I know he's one of the Planet X aliens in the next movie, but... Uh, so we have both uh, Ultraman and his um, secret identity, I guess, yeah, in this movie, in, in very small idea. capacity. 
My kids always ask me why Ultraman has to keep his identity secret. I'm like, I'm... Well, it's kind of a, well, yeah, but I, it is one of those things where like, it's easy to watch the show and be like, well, how come no one ever thinks he's Ultraman? But then it's like, well, if I'm going to be logical, if I wouldn't imagine someone I know is turning into a giant, like, (laughs) (laughs) Landon asked me that same thing, my son. And, and it's, it's, he's like, why does he have to keep this secret? I'm like, dude, I don't know. This guy on the screen now is like a fake, uh. Frankie Sakai. Oh, dude, that's great. That's exactly <laughs> what. <laughs> that's awesome. Bert, you mentioned you had some uh, some notes on Ghidra. I think now might be a good time oh, to talk I have, about that. I, I have a whole lot of... I mean, uh, well, first of all, I mean, just in terms of tokusatsu monsters, I mean, Ghidorah at this point is the most ambitious creation and i i mean honestly for my money the showa Ghidorah is my favorite still in terms of yeah. design and execution and i mean but i mean really execution the big one going into the uh, time period though i mean this there nothing was attempted like this um and yeah i i have a lot of Ghidorah notes just on the the creature and yeah i'll be happy to to ramble on about that because <clears throat> It's really a, a testament to the people behind the scenes that, that made these original films. Um, I mean, well, well I, I have a question for you, actually, because and, and I, I know the answer, but I want to I want to pose it to you because yes, you've done the, the notes sure. on this. So one of the things that pops up often is that people were saying Ghidra is actually a stand in for China, given the. The tensions well, between um, China yeah, I, I think um, that that one's easy to dismiss. I have a few myths to bust in my whole Ghidorah breakdown here, but um, I rename this this podcast Kaiju Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I can dismiss that. It, it's it's been said Russia, China have been. Uh, I can dismiss that as bullshit pretty easily. Um, one of the first times anyone made that connection that I knew of was David Callett's first edition of his book. Um, and then later, um, when he did the classic media commentary, he very plainly admits that he he regrets uh, ever saying that and that, you know, he, he really did feel that he was kind of grasping at straws, basically. And then his second edition of the book does not have that in it. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's something that's been kind of repeated, but... Um, yep. I was going to say, I was going to interrupt you just for a second and uh, mention that, like, this is, one of the spots, by the way. <laughs> this is one of the spots where the rushed nature of the production really shows its its stripes, is, is in Godzilla's breath. Um, oh, yeah, it's the it, mist. Uh, the mist it's is not back. properly uh, rotoscoped, mm-hmm. so... Whereas in the previous two movies, we'd seen it as blue flame. And even in one shot in this, you see it as a blue flame. Here, it's back to the, the mist of the... the well, and there's very few shots with his breath in this movie. Yeah, he doesn't really use it much, does he? Do you guys like how they just reveal the location of Princess Salno on air for the everybody to find her? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ghidorah, Ghidorah being China or Russia. Yes, so so he, he uh, regrets making the connection, and it, it's pseudo-intellectuals that want to sound smart always kind of bring it up. But, um, but then later I saw, 
I'm pretty sure this was um, in Ed and Steve's book that Ashiro Honda himself said that um, he 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 dismissed that theory as well, and um, he he so not only did the director dismiss it, but he also says you know he really doesn't think that was the kind of thing that uh, Sekizawa himself would would put into a movie of this nature, really. Um, so I mean, right there, I think that that that's good enough for me. Um, you know, all the William Sutsuis of the world can. Plan it. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that. can suck it. I'm just gonna come up and say. <laughs> well, that's like his. That's his thing is clinging on to stuff like that, and it's it's very grating. Well, so, so what I what I understand is that one of the things Ghidra is is sort of based on is the uh, Yamato Takaru, the eight headed dragon. They basically said, well, we can't do eight heads, so let's do three. Uh, you know? Orochi is the eight headed dragon. Yeah. Yamato Takeru is a person. The, yeah, the whole, yeah, but that's correct. <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, Ghidorah—they really just—they just consumed all this stuff. Not only Orochi and Japanese mythology, but also Chinese dragons, Greek mythology, um, and then some people have uh, kind of also projected um, the Soviet film *The Sword and the Dragon*, which had a three-headed dragon, um, as something that may have had an influence. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Ghidorah himself um, is just, like I said, amazing creation. Now, uh, all the only description that's in the screenplay is that it's a creature with three heads, two tails, and a voice like a bell. And so that's that's the only description in in the script. So. Beedy, 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 beedy. Yeah, beady, beady, beady. I don't know where a year ago that wasn't a thing, but somehow people are trying to make that like the spelling of the noise he makes, which, by the way, is also the ringtone for the Science Patrol's phone uh, in Ultraman. Um, huh. so. And as a result, in Evangelion as well. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, anyway, so that's the only description they had to work off of when, when creating Ghidorah. Um, and he was designed by um, Akira Watanabe, who designed so many uh, kaiju in his life. Um, everything from, I mean, he's got a, he has his, his fingerprints can be seen in most of these um, Showa films. Um, so. Uh, then the, the suit itself um, <clears throat> was created by several parties kind of working in tandem. There was Teizo Toshimitsu who created the actual heads, uh, the Yagi brothers who, again, worked at what did they not do at this time period. Um, and then, of course, Keizo Murase um, doing the necks and the paint job and the scales. Um, so really, all these guys are suit-making legends. I mean, um, and... Uh, of course, Marase is still out there, still doing it, which is amazing. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so um, some more kind of myths about kind of the origin of Ghidorah. Um, uh, it, it's rumored, at least, that Tsuburaya um, originally was thinking red. For the color. Um, one of the most common myths around Ghidorah is that he was supposed to appear rainbow colored in the film, um, which 
there's really no real evidence to that. Um, there are some still shots uh, of Ghidorah, as well as some movie posters that have him rainbow-colored, but uh, that's more or less just weird weirdness of the publicity department. I mean, if you look at a lot of the old Godzilla posters, there's all kinds of inexplicable things going on with the monsters, and that's just one of them. Um, Marase himself said, you know, the, the rainbow was never a consideration, and as far as his he could recollect, it was always gold. So I don't know if the project just got to him after they considered red, or if the whole thing about it being red is just more BS like the rainbow thing. I don't know. Um, the reason they chose gold is because Venus is uh, called the gold planet or the gold star in Japan. Um, so they figured the monster would be gold. Um, some more kind of false speculation is that Ghidorah was at one point supposed to be blue. Um, and this is due to some color photographs behind the scenes that um, are pretty easy to find at this point, I think. But um, uh, And I think some people from, um, you know, a, a script supervisors and things saw it on the set and kind of thought, oh, it's a blue monster. But the, re the reality of it is that um, this is all going back to Marase. He built the thing, so I'm inclined to believe him. Um, the color, first of all, the color was more of a black, uh, grayish black, but the lighting of those photos make it look blue. Um, but the reason it's blue is that was kind of a, um, a finish that, a, a coat that they had to put over the, the suit before they applied the gold. Um, so that's why he appears to be colored strangely in the, in those photos. Um, You're gonna make a lot of people regret buying very expensive figurines. <laughs> yeah, some that just came out. Say, actually, Bandai band just put something out. That was an X Plus, right? Toy. A, yeah, a big limited edition X Plus Rainbow Ghidorah. Which I mean, it's cool, you know, but it's it it, it it is based on the only real thing that we know that it's based on is is publicity photos that were doctored to be rainbow. So Ghidorah himself was never rainbow and repainted gold. I mean, that's stuff that, uh, I mean, I'm going to trust the suit maker <laughs> on this. Um, uh, I mean, it's cool. You know, it's a nice little novelty. And, and you know, if you're a toy guy that likes, you know, kind of offbeat things, you know, that's a neat thing to have. But, yeah, don't go in there being like, this is how he was going to look, because that's just uh, not right. <laughs> um, now, one thing I've always heard, um, and maybe um maybe this is another urban legend, but I've always heard that like every single one of the scales was hand placed. Like just um, to think about how many scales are on this thing and, you know, someone or, you know, a team of people had to just kind of glue those all on individually. That doesn't sound surprising. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I know, like, certain things, like, uh, I know for a fact, like, Marase said, like, Varan's scales, to make those scales, what he did was, um, he like, he would go to baseball games and eat tons of peanuts, and he would save the shells, and so those scales, that's him indenting the, the mold with peanut shells, and that's what gave Varan his, his scales and his texture. So, I mean, these guys were not strangers to doing incredibly monotonous 
painstaking detail work on this stuff. Yeah, and here's Takeshi Shimura. Yeah. Um, and he he does he doesn't totally disappear from the movie, but I mean I think all of his dialogue is in this in this hospital. I think after this he just is standing on a mountain, occasionally kind of reacting to some of the kaiju stuff. Yeah. Um, this is another scene that I I feel like is like weirdly edited in the American version. Um, in what way? Again, I'm like you, and then it's been a while since I've watched the Ghidra cut, but um, I I seem to remember there being a few shots of like nighttime, like inner cut around here, like you where it goes from right. day to night to in day to night. Um, you might be right there. How weird is it that both the Japanese and U.S. versions of this don't have Godzilla in the title? Yeah, that's really kind of... Yeah, good point, actually, yeah. Not normal, <laughs> right? This um, is my favorite movie moment in the film, by the way. Got Rodan dropping Godzilla crotch first on the uh, high, high tower or whatever. From what I, I understand, like... uh, after this movie is when Toho would were a little bit more strict with American edits... Um, that's why, like, stuff like Monster Zero, Godzilla's Revenge, I mean, aside from, like, the titles and some, some things here and there, like, they're mostly the same. Well, they started doing co-productions after this Yeah, also. yeah, that too. Yeah, that was a big part of it, yeah. Um, did the guy get hit with the wrench yet? No, no. that's coming okay. up. I, I love that part, and I love the, in the, that's, an, that's another great dub moment. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is like what I was talking about where, you know, I mean. Oh, if, here it is, here it is. Yeah, that is, it's <laughs> criminal that the, the, what the sound that guy makes in the dub is not preserved for future generations. <laughs> Well, this is definitely though one of those like you know I I mentioned it and it, you mentioned it too, but I I kind of called it out specifically is like like yeah the you know if not for the kaiju uh, she gets electrocuted and yep. and yeah and yep. killed yeah you know yeah. and then it turns into this whole gun you know shootout yeah. sequence and and they're running and after each other and yeah it's a it's it's definitely that the kaiju are driving the human action type of thing so since we are in the chunk of the movie that where the editing is like wonky especially in the US version i'm just going to i think it'd just be easiest for me to just blitz through this but i have steve rifle's book um japan's favorite monster in front of me and i'm just going to read through a paragraph where he really kind of just details the editing in the the American version, done by a company called Continental. Um, <clears throat> this is probably the, just the easiest way to get all the changes uh, out of the way um, in one uh, one move here. Um, uh, Continental sloppy editing is exemplified by the scene in which Godzilla surfaces and makes his landing on Yokohama. While Godzilla is waiting in Sagami Bay, a shot of Rodan flying overhead... His angular body, brilliantly silhouetted against the night sky, was snatched 
from a later sequence and inserted here, making it seem as if Godzilla spies Rodan above and follows him onto the mainland. In the Japanese version, Rodan does not appear in the sky until Godzilla has come ashore. The American version jumbles several scenes around during Godzilla's approach from the water into the city, so like we were talking about. Um, he's seen onshore, then offshore, then on land again. Another major change involves the reworking of Dr. Tsukamoto's examination of the princess and King Ghidorah's blitz in uh, Yokohama. In the U.S. version, Ghidorah attacks the city even as the princess is still prophesizing the monster's imminent arrival to destroy the planet, as if no one has seen the creature yet. In the Japanese version, the princess is taken to the clinic before Ghidorah's first appearance, and she warns everyone that the monster is coming. In the next scene, Ghidorah hatches from the meteorite and launches his attack, uh, which is much more logical. Uh, numerous other scene switcheroos and minor deletions are more subtle and certainly unapparent to anyone who has not seen the Japanese version, uh, but have the combined effect of making... Ghidra more confusing and disjointed. The only positive change introduced in Continental's version is the re-editing of several sound effects. While Malness and Shindo are waging their gun battle in the hills, the U.S. version has the cries of the monsters battling in the distance superimposed with the, over the shootout, which is a nice touch. Um, so that's kind of a list of uh, some of the more prominent um, editing uh, changes in the Continental version. Now what's interesting about that and um, I know there's been rumors otherwise, but um, I, I, I'm pretty sure Steve, I think on this podcast even, said that uh, he wasn't aware of Honda actually seeing any of the American versions, including King of the Monsters. Um, so what's interesting, though, is that later on in the 70s, 1971, when they were doing the Champion Festival... Um, which was a summer festival where new Godzilla movies were, were premiered and shown with animes and cartoons and superhero shows, basically all in a day for, you know, parents to take their kids and not have to deal with them for 12 hours or whatever. Um, Bring that shit back for right now. <laughs> yeah. Can the world have champion f festivals? Well, I guess. Please, the, the but yeah, I mean, I mean, stream them or something because <laughs> we, we, we're not going to be able to go to them. Um, but yeah, uh, so um, they would also do these shorter champion festival cuts of the older movies. Um, and Honda himself would edit those. And uh, what's interesting about the champion version of uh of this movie is that it makes a lot of the same editing uh, uh, changes as the continental U.S. version. So I think it's more likely that Honda might have looked at this and said, okay, how can we cut this down and rearrange the pacing? Because basically it was like those continental versions were cramming the movies into maybe 50 to 60 minutes. So um, he might have just looked at it and had some of the same thoughts as the Continental editors and been like, okay, you know, I'll switch this here and there. I think um, I, I don't know that he ever saw the, the U.S. version. I, I'm not sure why he would have. Um, and as far as, uh, as far as Steve and Ed were able to find out, they, they're not really aware of, of him viewing any of them. So I think that the, the, oh, that's an interesting coincidence. That was one of the more uh, inappropriate Godzilla gifts. Well, yeah, well, in the gift, it, the, the, that gift cuts out a very prominent shot that's between uh, the happenings here. 
Um, so here uh, we are. Uh, every time someone watches this scene, Ashiro Honda moves a little fraction of an inch uh, in his grave. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for those who don't know, um, this is really... He hated this? Oh like, my! <laughs> I mean, we've all read the book, so it's not you know we know that. But he, to some, it might be a surprise. But he hated this scene so much; uh, it just he couldn't stand it. Um, so to kind of give some history there, he was always of the theory that even even when making these movies, you know, more for kids, that the monsters should be monsters uh and i i think the the first time he really got had a disagreement in the portrayal of the monsters was king kong versus godzilla and you know how the monsters kind of mimic you know maybe boxing moves or or things like that and you know giving them these human features was something he just really didn't agree with and <clears throat> this is also where um it's important to note it, note that you know I mean as much of Honda that you know his, his movies are very purely him in a lot of ways it, it really was Tsuburaya was the boss and you know it it's it said that Tsuburaya was the second most powerful person at Toho following Akira Kurosawa that's how much weight he wielded and you know this is what he wanted from these movies at this time to appeal to kids and make them, you know, more, I guess, uh, I guess part of that was making the monsters more human. So here we have a scene where they literally, um, talk out their differences, which thematically is very Honda, you know, the monsters working together and you see a culmination of that and destroy all monsters. And that kind of puts a neat little bow on kind of his run or at least, what he probably thought was his run. Um, but yeah, no, he just, he hated this. And, and I think this is where it was really evident that Godzilla as a character and this franchise had really kind of outgrown him. And it wasn't really something he could consider his anymore. And, and yes, yeah. it, it's very commonly known that a real, another real big straw for that was, the dance in, in Monster Zero, which we all love, but, you know, I mean, the guy that created Godzilla in 1954, yeah, I, I can see how he may not appreciate Godzilla dancing in outer space. <laughs> so, and, yeah. Well, it's, it's not just a, a, a dance, it's like a pop culture Well, reference. yeah, it, it would be like... Um, It'd be like Godzilla dabbing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it would be like the equivalent oh God, of Godzilla yeah. dabbing in in King of the Monsters or something. Like I I mean, he just made him want to crawl out of his skin. He he described he described directing this actual scene as just being like just the worst. <laughs> well, yeah, and that and that, and that's an interesting kind of moment to bring up to people too, right? Is like Shiro Honda wouldn't have directed the monsters talking, right? That's that's, that's all Tsuburaya, yeah. So um, the way, so, yeah, yeah. So Honda wouldn't also would not have directed the the what is it the she dance the the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't direct that either, but he had to direct 
the characters reacting. Yeah, to and it, he right? had, and you know at the, at the end of the day, it says directed by Ashiro Honda, and he's probably just like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yes, he, he has to go back to to talk with Akira Kurosawa, and he's like, well, so yeah. I saw your new movie. Yeah, and then everyone, <laughs> and then even I think only a few years after this. Um, when Subaraya formed uh, his production company, you know, Kurosawa and Subaraya were telling him, like, you know, go independent, man. But, you know, it's that whole Japanese sense of loyalty thing. And, you know, a lot of that is also what had him coming back for Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla's Revenge, Terror of Mechagodzilla. Um, now that Ghidorah well, is actually out and about, you, we can really kind of revel in his magnificence. Yeah. Well, that. You know, just to just to go back to Honda and you know his his struggles with what Godzilla was becoming. This wasn't even the first time. You know, and you mentioned King Kong versus Godzilla, but he also butted heads with uh, with Ifukube on uh, on Mothra versus Godzilla, where um, there's the the moment where you know they're uh, they're they're gonna go rescue the kids off the island. The kids are trapped on the island. And um, the characters look up and they see Godzilla kind of coming over the mountain at them. And Honda thought it was this great, powerful moment and was like, yeah, like, let's just leave it like, you know, with no score. And if Ukube is like, yeah, look, that's that's great. That's great. And then he scored it anyways. <laughs> and, and, and then the score like made it into the final cut of the movie. So like just as you, you know, not just like every kind of Godzilla movie that Honda directed after the first one his control of it there's always compromises yeah. more and more and more to where even even whether or not he liked it personally I could just see as a director like just being like I don't even have control over the movie I'm making anymore you know I mean that's gotta be frustrating yeah and I mean, uh, from uh, from people that worked with him and everything, I mean, he never seemed to have a down mood. He never seemed to complain. He was happy to do the work in the at the end of the day. And I think that just shows, you know, how chill of a guy he really was. Um, so I have some some notes on Ghidorah's actual. Uh, this is another crazy one where the suit actor. I don't know how they. Oh, this is like. <laughs> this is it's not as crazy as Legion, but like this is where they start to just get wild with how they're using the suit actors. You know, I mean, anyone saying it's just a guy in a suit. I mean, these guys go through Look so at much. It. Oh, this is a, I love this. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he peeps back out through the rock. Um, so Shuichi Hirose uh, is King Ghidorah. Um, so the, basically the way that this worked for him, um, so, I mean, next time you get a good full body shot of Ghidorah, take note of his posture, and, um, so the person inside that thing, um, he's really only able to use, you know, his body weight and his legs, um, so he's crouched down in there, and since Ghidorah doesn't have arms, there's a metal bar in his chest, that he's holding on to, and he's also using that to kind of pivot uh, his upper body strength. Um, and, you know, just imagine how, how heavy that thing is 
um, and just having to be crouched down and holding onto a bar the whole time and really barely being able to see anything also. And that's what he's going through when we uh, see Ghidorah moving. Um, we talk about, like, you know, like every one of us would probably like to put on the Godzilla suit and stomp around, and then you would probably put it on and realize, like, it's smelly and sweaty and gross and uncomfortable. The thought of being inside the Ghidorah suit and, like, you know, you can't use your arms, and so, like, if slash when you fall down you can't even attempt to push yourself back up like the idea of and it's i'm not a right? person, <laughs> the idea of being inside that suit is is horrifying um I know, well i know that kitagawa commented that like there were times he thought he was going to drown when he was filming in the millennium godzilla suit because like you go underwater and you can't get up oh, yeah. under your all power. these guys all these yeah. guys almost drowned and i mean ask any suit actor that's been in the big pool and they'll say every time they're in there like something inside them feels like they might die <laughs> um but yeah Ghidorah himself just Ghidorah would be up to seven wire workers just operating the heads um, operating the tail, um, you know, uh, Taisho Arakawa, who, you know, um, was Subarai's assistant and then took over for a few films after he died, said it looked like a, a trapeze act. You know, there was so much going on. Um, so if, if he moved too quickly, I mean, think about the challenge, the physical challenge of being in that suit, but then also think about this. If he moved too quickly, I mean, things could get tangled. There were constant challenges with the heads getting tangled up, the wires getting twisted. Wires would be... Uh, oh, that's a great part, by the way, where he grabs onto the... Yeah, the rock. Like, the papier-mâché <laughs> boulder. And <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I thought that was hilarious. Um but yeah, so wires would get tangled. I mean, if he moved in a certain way that was unpredictable, the the wires might reflect the studio lights. Um, wires were constantly getting snagged on Ghidorah's t um, scales. And so, I mean, just that's also part of why you see so little screen time of Ghidorah like walking around is because like it was a miracle just to get a successful shot because it was so difficult. Um, and, you know, what? probably one of Tsuburaya's, if not the biggest challenge he's had in bringing a kaiju uh, to life was Ghidorah. Um, and, and yet, I, I mean, just think I of love this show, show aversion. Oh, and there's Godzilla getting it. shot in the dick for the lulls, by the way. <laughs> and you, you see it in, in pretty much every scene that he's in. Like, the head's just move in such a more organic way um and and every like everything about it it's just it's so much more fluid than any other version of this of this creature and that includes the cg version there's just a a fluidity here that you don't get in any of the other versions some people and I, don't I, like I, the constant movement of the heads but to me it it adds to the chaos of yeah. it? Yeah, to, and, and just like the otherworldly alien yeah, exactly. nature of it. Yeah, I, I, I like that it doesn't seem like it's ever focusing oh, on something. Oh, those guys are getting shot in the butt for more, more lulls. Um, 
but yeah, what I you just... don't get though is like you know when Godzilla gets shot in the dick, you don't get like token token black character be like, oh damn, <laughs> you would totally get that now. <laughs> Well, what you wouldn't get now also is, you know, the your all of your established big monsters teaming up to fight a new threat, as opposed That's... to making it just the the Godzilla show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I gotta say, um, my favorite Rodan is still the fifty six one. This one, yeah, is... this Rodan's a a, a doofbag. Yeah, he's sure. very derpy. <laughs> but yes, Kevin, you're very right. Like Godzilla's uh role in this victory over Ghidorah is it's about equal, right? Like it's he this isn't the They're Godzilla all doing show. their part, you know. Yeah. You even get that in Destroy All Monsters, you know, you have so many monsters and everyone that is prominent, not you know, the spectator monsters, you know, everyone kind of gets a a good shot in, you know. Um, I think that is one of the things that was kind of surprising in a way in King of the Monsters is, you know, everyone's just kind of, I don't know, like, there's no real agency. Everyone's just kind of fighting each other, so you don't really get that that monster team-up. But, uh, but yeah, I, the the fact that Ghidorah worked... At all, I mean, it shouldn't have worked. It's like it's like Legion, or even like you can look. There, a lot of monsters have like cutaways of like what the suit actor is doing. Like Legion from Gamera Two is an insane one. Um, the Batra larva for um, the oh, ninety two yeah. Godzilla Mothra is another crazy one. Like these should these are things that shouldn't have worked. And not only the fact that like if I was in if I was Eiji Tsuburaya and I went through this ordeal with Ghidorah, I'd be like, okay, we're never doing that again. And then they <laughs> they keep bringing him back all the way through <laughs> Godzilla versus Gigan. And after that, for for low budget zone fighter, they're like, okay, well, here we're gonna do it again, you know. And that's <laughs> crazy. He's one of the most popular characters, and deservedly so. Yeah. Um, the guy that uh, that played um, Ghidorah, uh, Subaraya, did not like him because uh, he always like he's like he was like that kid that never did his homework, like. Uh, <laughs> Like like he would tell Nakajima like okay you're, you go home watch King what here's my print of King Kong go home watch it a billion times so you know how a monster should act and he he would tell uh, Hirose stuff like that and he'd be like okay and then he'd come back and he'd be like so did you did you do what I told you to do and he'd be like uh no <laughs> and so he he was frustrating to to work with I, I thought about it. Yeah, he's like, I, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, okay, well, so he, he was one of those guys that's like, you know, I'm just going to, uh, just going to do the job and uh, nothing extracurricular. Um, But, Jesus, I mean, isn't it, this is, I mean, not only has this been a calming you know, kind of, like, thing to lift our spirits, but isn't it, it is kind of a, f because I watched this whole series leading up to King of the Monsters, and then that movie came out, 
it has its own issues, but just the way that that movie rippled through the fandom and the online discourse about Godzilla has been kind of unfortunate. So, I mean, just it's, it, it is very much like a breath of fresh air just to kind of watch this and be reminded of like, hey, this is what this is about, you know? Yes, I 100% agree. Like, I, we've I was been inundated out. with Godzilla sex with Mothra and <laughs> uh, all kinds of stuff that that it ex. I'm not gonna say it didn't exist a year ago, but like the percentage that it existed a year ago was like, I don't know. It was like. And this obsession with Godzilla being like a literal king of monsters, and I hate it so like much. like like we said, I mean, you watch something like this, and all the monsters are very equal in terms of Godzilla yeah. gets his ass beat by Rodan. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not. Where now yeah. you know it's like who win Godzilla versus Rodan? All all Godzilla's got to do is get nuked and turn into burning Godzilla, and you can kill anything. <laughs> it's like you know, this was like okay, you have Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, they're all like on an equal playing field and they're all doing something important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the title is Sandai Kaiju, like the big three monsters. So yeah, not, not three big monsters as some people tend to say, because (laughs) then if you're counting, you get very confused. Yeah. Cause there's, (laughs) yeah. Cause there's, so I guess this is the shot that, uh, originally was like, Godzilla and Rodan maybe facing certain doom <laughs> from a nuke. Well, and that's that's a little more um, I don't know about thematically, but uh, it's just a little more consistent with how all of the previous Godzilla movies had kind of ended. You know, I mean uh, um, 54 obviously ends with him dying and yeah, breaks yeah. again and buried in ice. King Kong ends with him presumably dead. Um, sorry, Godzilla fans, that's how it ends. Um, <laughs> and and even Mothra versus Godzilla ends with him, you know, defeated. Uh, and then and then this movie to have in the original script something where it ends with him on kind of this uncertain note of you know he might get nuked. That's a little more. In line with it's the also pretty interesting. I mean, just comparing where we are now to then, and I know that this that it's been I, the Heisei series really is where this shift started, but I think now we're at the point where it's it's been moved all the way up to eleven for the worst. Is where in 1964 it was thought, okay, if Godzilla gets nuked, he, he's gonna die. Um. Whereas now, it's if Godzilla gets nuked, he gets all these special cool powers and can beat anything. And if there's a problem, we should just detonate nuclear warheads. Uh, you know, where that is very much not where that original script was coming from. It was like, hey, you know, Godzilla and Rodan are going to be blown off the face of the... Like, could be blown off the face of the planet. And now it's like, oh, he's just going to go Super Saiyan and be even cooler, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. Can I just can I just say, I miss 90-minute movies. That was such a brisk watch. 
Oh, and yeah, no. And, and think about I, it. I mean, wh- what are you going to look at at that movie and point at it and say, like, there's fat anywhere? I mean... There really it wasn't at all. I mean, you it's could take a... a movie like King of the Monsters or... Um, I mean, geez, even outside of Godzilla, Aquaman, whatever, you you can take a lot of those movies and pick them up, shake them around. You can lose 20, 30 minutes easily. Um, that's why it's so insane when it, I... It's I, so frustrating when a movie like uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is, you know, and we're still... We're still at least... I'm going to start saying that. We're still at least eight months out from that movie's release. Um, and oh God, that's been people are talking too. about it's rumored to have a an hour forty five minute run. Yeah, time I guess, and I guess the like, test. Thank God. Well, yeah, and I guess the, like, I guess the test screenings. That's so short. How can you even have a movie that's yeah, an hour and forty five minutes? Yeah, the test screenings were long. less than two hours. So yeah, I've heard ninety minutes to an hour forty five, and everyone's like. And IMDb falsely said three hours at one point. Now everyone's like, I hate that it's not three hours. And I, oh, how's it? Oh, how's it so short? And then that was only that that started going around only like a couple weeks after. Um, like one, there was there was an article about Birds of Prey, and it was like confirmed runtime an hour and forty minutes. That's like the headline was like Birds of Prey runtime and it's extremely short. And it's like, no, that's how movies. That's like a movie. (laughs) An hour for like 105 minutes used to be long for a movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I I welcome. I mean, if if it's true that the movie's under two hours, I welcome it. I mean, uh, I mean, just get to the do the basics. Do get to the goddamn point. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, quit farting if, around. If you're going to be a stupid movie with who care human action, much monster punch fight, if that's what you're going to be, then embrace it and be 90 minutes. Do what this movie did. Lots of monster action, but don't shortchange the characters. Make them fun to watch. Give them personalities. Make them funny. Make them witty. But they don't have to be deep. Yeah, they don't have to. It, it seems like people either want something, someone to be super deep and compelling, or just like bland nobody. And I mean, you can meet in the middle and just have someone that's just fun to be around. That's all we need. That doesn't mean poop jokes and bad uh, uh, wisecracks. Like, I mean, you don't need super fleshed out characters to make good human characters and good human storylines in a kaiju movie. But you do need to put something into it i i hate this mentality that it's something that is so unimportant that no effort should even be put into it and i think that is something that is affecting the filmmakers at this point and that's why we get you know what we've been getting you know so i mean yeah you don't have to go overboard and overthink these characters but make them something or you know unnecessary attempts at at distracting attempts at, at continuity for a film series uh, is another thing that like we're not seeing here as we, as we were commenting before uh, they could have had it completely incidentally and they didn't, but with the, you know, King of the monsters where they're like, Hey, remember this character from the previous movie? That's uh, something that they don't really need. Yeah. Either. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one of those things like, that they, they don't lean into it enough for it to matter and they don't, ignore it enough for it to like be
be a whatever. It's like, oh, the oh, God, I this poor actor because we haven't gotten his name right this whole time. The Miles Dyson guy. Oh, that's the yeah. guy from Skull yeah. Island. Okay. Like, but he, if you're just <laughs> watching King of the Monsters, you're like, who? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's and that's that. Yeah, they don't lean into it enough, and they don't ignore it and that's the that's the the problem right is it and and that's how it how, that's how that movie is and not to get too off on although we kind of are already but not <laughs> to get too too off on the rails but like that's how that's how that movie is with with all of its like references and easter eggs and everything is it's like it doesn't just straight up ignore it to where like only diehard fans would even know that you're calling it out as something to begin with to where you're like, ah, oh, that's a fun Easter egg that I get that I bet nobody else would get. But it also doesn't expound on it enough to make it feel like it matters. And so you have all these things that if you're just a casual person watching it, you're like, what the hell was that? What the hell was that? What the hell was that? And like a, a a person who's a bigger fan will be like, oh, that's this, that's this, that's this. And, you know, the other person goes, well, where do I go to see more about this? And I go, oh, don't worry about it because, like, it's not in any of the actual continuity. <laughs> so, so, like, so as we kind of – oh, sorry. I didn't want to – I don't know. It's just like – it's it, it, like Gidra, for example. It could have made um, – it could have made – you know, uh, Hiroshi Koizumi's character, the same character, and it could have made um, Yuriko Hoshi's character, could have made her Junko, you know, like, it, it could have done those things. Um, and if it were made today, I'm sure it would have. But it doesn't. It just it, The movie allows itself to stand on its own. And I just, I just wish more movies would have the competence or confidence to do that but then you don't get that sweet sweet cinematic universe money <laughs> well they're still not getting that money anymore so. yeah i'm gonna say that's <laughs> yeah i mean if 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 this movie were made today that would have had a a stinger at the end where you know it cuts to a, a room with a guy wearing very thin sunglasses is like, hmm, next time or whatever. Oh, Ghidorah would, would be shown in a post-credit sequence as like still yeah. floating around in space. And then it would turn out that he's not in the next movie and the guy, the human guy <laughs> in that scene also isn't in the next movie and the next movie is something completely unrelated. So, so as we kind of wrap this up, I was, do we want to go through and do ratings? And I, I had a question, too. Do you guys prefer the American cut or Japanese cut, or do you even care at that at this point? Uh, for this one, I, I go to Japanese. Although, I mean, I have nostalgia for the American one. I probably could recite it by heart. You know, I mean, I, I can still, watching the Japanese version on mute, I'm, when I'm hearing it in my head, I'm hearing the dub, but... I, I do. I I like the Japanese one more. I mean, a lot of these uh, from the '60s onward. Um, there's very few cases where I have a real preference, but this is one where I I I like the Japanese version more. Yeah, this this one is the differences on this one are so minimal, right? 
that the Japanese version flows better. It's definitely like I would say this is like one of those like 50-50 coin flip things. Like it just kind of depends my mood watching it and where I want to be. Am I watching this is like me and my kids are going to sit down and watch this and, you know, going to be wandering in and out of the room, then American version for sure. Or but you don't have to like, read out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or even like, am I going to just w- be watching this casually while I, you know, am I going to throw this on while I go and clean the house or something? I'm going to be walking kind of in and out of the room. Then yeah, American version, because the difference is pretty minimal. Um, but like if I'm sitting down to watch it, the Japanese version, it, it flows a little better. Um, and and yeah, that that's really what it's about. It, it flows just a little better. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I have a nostalgic value for the affinity for the for the for the American cut, but I, I do think the Japanese, the more deliberate pace. And the, the uh, less confusing edits make a lot more sense. Where are you at, Kevin? I know the answer already. <laughs> yeah, of course you know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like asking me, oh, do, do, do you prefer the champion Matsuri version? Like, no, of course not. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so how do you guys rate this at Japanese this point? Japanese version all the way. Uh, I think this one rests for me at a four. Um, I It's obviously a flawed movie. It's got some issues. It's not the most well... Uh, put together just because it was made in four days and edited in five minutes. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I get too much enjoyment. It, it, it probably deserves more like a three and a half, but I just get too much out of it. So I have a four. Kevin? No, I'm at, I'm also okay. at uh, four heads on Ghidorah out of five. <laughs> uh, four, Four heads out of five on my three-headed monster. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just—it's so eminently enjoyable. It's so fun. Uh, you know, the characters are memorable despite them not being like super deep. Um, there's so many great little memorable moments even if some of them made the director want to, you know, claw his own skin off. <laughs> uh, they're just, they're memorable, right? And, and you know, I mean, if there's one thing that, that Mystery Science Theater has thought of, taught us, and I'm a big MST3K, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say big, but I'm an MST3K fan, um, it's that you don't always have to enjoy a movie on the level that was intended, and I do get some ironic enjoyment and some, you know, kind of twisted fun out of, oh, Godzilla, what terrible language and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, Godzilla swears and, in this. And, yeah, it's just, it's it's too damn much fun. And I'm at a four out of five. Kevin? Uh, I'm going to go four and a half. Uh, I think there's just so much innovation going on here and i I, th- I don't think any other godzilla movie has really been as ambitious as this like technically yeah like destroy all monsters has more effects going on but just in terms of the the novelty that, that this is bringing um in flipping the whole dynamic of the character on its head doing the whole 
bringing bringing this cinematic universe Avengers of monsters type of thing together. Uh, yeah, it's it's a game changer in a way that I don't think has happened on that scale at any other point in the series. That's true. Yeah, I'm, also, yeah. I'm also at a four, four and a half, I think. Just echoing what you guys said, I, Ghidra is a technical marvel and has never looked better. Um, even movies made, you know, in the 90s with Ghidra, like, doesn't even come close to this. And I really appreciate that. Plus, the, the movie is just a ton of fun and it's a brisk watch. And you put it on and it's just like instant comfort food, but totally engaging and enthralling. And uh, yeah, so I'm a, a solid four, probably bordering on a four and a half. You know what's crazy is for me, whatever the flaws with the movie itself, the closest Ghidra, Ghidorah, Ghidra comes outside of the Showa series to that fluidity of execution is uh, Rebirth of Mothra 1. You mean 3. One is Death One. Ghidorah. No, that's... De- yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, you're Death just saying Ghidorah. Death Ghidorah is is the one that comes closest. Yeah. Okay. I like Grand Ghidorah myself, but... Uh, hey, the design is cool, but I meant in terms just, of execution. Yeah, yeah. No, Death, yeah, G- I, Death Ghidorah... Yeah, I, I you're is, saying. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, Death Ghidorah is pretty well done. Probably more than it gets credit for. You mean, I'd agree with that. Desgidora? Des Des yeah. Oh god, I hate those Toho mandated <laughs> names. Destroyer. Uh, Destroyer. Whatever. Easier to copyright that way. Yeah. Ugh. And then the fans that are like, you know, you say Death Ghidorah, and they're like, um, it's Des Ghidorah. It's one word. <laughs> Is this is this gonna be like the people that that correct you when you say Ghidra instead of Ghidorah? Yeah, or Ghidorah. Yeah, I say and Ghidorah. Then, I, I don't know. Some people say Ghidorah is too Americanized. I don't know. I I well, I, I switch between Ghidra and Ghidra and Ghidorah. I say all of them. I tend to say Ghidra. Well, yeah, it's 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 like you have to accept that some of the names are gonna be different in the american versions it's like we say godzilla and not gojira yeah it's exactly the same with Ghidorah. i don't know anyone that actually says manila instead of minya everyone says it just still says minya that's like i I tend i I do sometimes because it it has that that punish element of it of minila but you know um all right so uh, I think we're I think we're all wrapped up on on Ghidra. Um, stay safe. We pissed off enough uh, King of the Monsters fans. Yeah, monster, one yeah. The Monster Versers <laughs> are mad at us still, but it's okay. We don't hate the Monster Verse. Look, we, I, I, yeah, yeah. We're allowed we to be pretty... critical of things we like, people. Okay. So, whatever. <laughs> okay. Do we do we like the Criterion set? Uh, again, we're uh. allowed to be critical. <laughs> so, and Tom, after seeing it, how do you think you would have survived that drinking game? Um, if it were if it were shots, I'd be dead by what uh, Godzilla's appearance. Um, <laughs> if it were a sip of beer, I 
may possibly have made it through the movie, but right now I wouldn't be making a lick of sense. Um, as we've been talking post movie, cause you know, that's the other, the other thing to note about movies from the sixties is, uh, their credits were all during the, the opening credits and there was no such thing as credits after the movie. The movie just ended with the end and then it was over. I've thrown on, uh, Mothra versus Godzilla just to, cause this is the first time I'm watching these criterion, uh, cuts and, and, the Mothra versus Godzilla one is is breaking my my goddamn heart. It, this is awful. <laughs> yeah, so is Monsters. I actually did the same thing with Monster Zero. It's on right now, and like the splice marks are just. Ugh. So, this is uh, I think I've kind of said it about this set before, even fully previewing the whole thing is like. There's movies, and I've I've watched a few of the movies on this, right? Um, I've watched Mechagodzilla. I've watched Terror of Mechagodzilla. I've watched uh, Gojira just because it's you know on uh, it's it's basically just a direct port over of Criterion's previous release. Stuff like that. Yep, looks great. Looks better than it has. Um, totally worth the purchase for that. But like. Watching my favorite Godzilla movie ever uh, giving me seizures is <laughs> fucking heartbreaking. Um, overall, a good set, but a massive missed opportunity. Well, Don May uh, from Synapse just shared like this beautiful 4K that he's about to release of some Nikatsu pink uh film and it's like yeah nikatsu is making these gorgeous transfers of these exploitation films and making them readily available to any willing distributor and toho is is uh oh and, and in a few months <laughs> and in a few months gamera is going to be doing what he's done since the mid 90s to godzilla and that's embarrass him <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good note to to go out on. Uh, all right. Well, stay safe under your quarantine, people, uh, and um, uh, stay clean. And for the love of God, behave as the CDC is telling you to. All right. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.